hey, this morning I want to uh, continue our series called Basics, and uh, we've looked at what salvation really means, we've looked at how to read our Bibles and get the most out of it, and this morning I want to talk about water baptism as one of the basic things that we have. In fact, Jesus' last instructions to his disciples before he went uh, to heaven was uh, you know, about baptism. And, and the crazy thing is, I don't know if you've ever uh, seen someone pass away or been by their bedside when they pass away. I'm not saying that Jesus died, but usually it's those last words that they tell you that you always remember. I don't know about you, but if, if I knew I was about to die, I would sit my kids down and I would tell them some really important things that I wanted them to remember for the rest of their lives, yes? And so Jesus utters these last words of advice to his disciples before he goes. And I don't know about you, but if these are his last words, these are really important words. Yes? Come on, talk to me this morning. And uh, it's in Matthew 28, verse 19, and he says this, he goes, Therefore, in other words, all of this that has happened before this moment is for this purpose. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, it's because of what has gone on previous, not about what's about to happen. So he's saying, therefore, because all of this has happened, this is the next step. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Nations, that word nations there means people groups. It's not, it's not talking about uh, countries. It's talking about ethnic people. It's talking about Indian, Asian, Thai. You know, it's all sorts of different people. That's what it's talking about. And it says, baptizing them. Everyone say, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So basically, Jesus' last words to his disciples, he goes, all of this stuff, everything that has happened, everything that I've done, everything that I've been here for, is for this purpose, that you would go and witness to the world, lead people to Christ, and then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How many people know that if Jesus is saying, this is what it's all about, then that's something that we really need to do? Come on. Something we really need to do. In fact, Jesus led by example. When we look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 17, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. It's John the Baptist. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you and do not come to me. And Jesus said to him, hey, mate, I understand what you're saying, but he's saying, let it be so for now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, and as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son. No, that sounds bad, doesn't it? In whom I am well pleased. And so Jesus comes to John the Baptist and he says, oh, mate, I need to be baptized. And John the Baptist, understanding who Jesus was, was, mate, I, I need you to baptize me, not the other way around. But Jesus turned and says, no, 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 we need to do this. This is the proper thing to do. Water baptism is part of our process. We get saved, we get water baptized, we get filled with the Holy Spirit as part of our process of walking through our lives. In fact, I believe that if you can give your life to Christ, you can be water baptized and filled with a spirit, you are 75% of the way there, I reckon. I think it's impossible to do this Christian life without those three 
things manifesting in your world. And Jesus says, even in this moment, says, man, I, I want to be baptized. I need to be baptized. And when he comes out of the water, there's this incredible thing where heaven opens and a dove descends. A dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And then God the Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I want to tell you that water baptism is, a, is not just a symbolic thing. It's a spiritual thing. You know, so many people talk about water baptism as a symbolic thing. And we understand that, that it's the identifying of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we're identifying with that, but it's not symbolic, it's spiritual. It's an incredible thing. Something takes shape in our world when we are water baptized that, that does more than change us. It does more than change us. The word baptize comes from the word baptizo, which means to wash, dip, fully immerse, plunge under, submerge. And and hence why we don't do christening here, because I believe that the Scripture teaches us to be water baptized, which is to be fully immersed, fully under the water. I don't even know if I feel comfortable fully planting children under the water at six months old. <laughs> and plus, I don't think it's a decision that a child can make. You know, I think you to be saved, which is a personal decision, that you invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, then be water baptized, and then be filled with the Holy Spirit, or in whatever order those two come in. And so I truly believe that when it comes to water baptism, it is where you go into, in our case, we have a portable spa that we put up here usually, and on the 6th of November, we have our next water baptisms, and uh, we make it nice and warm. It's about 30 odd degrees in the water, it's really nice. You know, back in these days, I'd just go down to the local sea or something like that, but we do it really nice for you because we care about you. And, uh, and then we put you under the water and bring you back up again, and, and God does something transformational in your world. And I, I just want to show you the three things that uh, will show you the spiritual significance of water baptism. Because to be water baptized means to be fully immersed. And there's a, the scripture talks about a washing that happens of who we are. And, and, and some of the people in the Bible times actually didn't used to call John, John the Baptist. They actually should call him John the Washer. <laughs> and it wasn't because he had a washing machine and a laundromat down the road. It's because of what he was doing as he water baptized people. There's a washing that took place in their spirits. And so I want to talk to you this morning about the three things that happen spiritually to you when you're water baptized. And I know some of you are like, man, I've been water baptized years ago and there's going to be nothing in this that's really going to speak to me. I want to tell you the last point that I make this morning will transform you. Because I think a lot of us, and I include myself in this as I studied it, we have forgotten what the baptism means to our life. And we have lost the significance of it. And I want to encourage you this morning that we're going to get it back. Are you with me? All right. The spiritual power of baptism, the first one is this, that you are publicly standing with Christ. When you go through the waters of baptism, you are publicly standing with Christ. What does that mean? That you're making an outward declaration for everybody to see of an inward change that has happened to you. You are basically saying to people, I am a Christ follower. I follow Jesus and you're making a stand publicly so that everybody knows. Listen to this in Galatians chapter 3, 
verse 26 to 27, it says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Everybody say, clothed yourselves with Christ. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I, I like sport. Does anybody like sport? Yeah. How many of you like the All Blacks? How many of you are losers and like South Africa? How many are real losers and like Australia? All right. <laughs> we can pray for you, man. You can be delivered from your support of South Africa and Australia. Jesus can deliver you from that. So you too can be part of a winning team. Anyway, enough of that naughtiness. What happens is, I see this. What happens is every time there's an All Blacks game or whatever, people come to church and guess what they wear? They wear All Black t-shirts, All Black shirts, South African shirts. You see people, when counties Manukau plays, and the parking becomes a nightmare near the stadium, and you just see all these people walking along wearing counties Manukau shirts. You watch TV, the English Premier League, because you know, soccer is the greatest sport in the world, and they're all wearing, you know, some of them are deceived, and they've got Manchester United t-shirts on, and, and then some of them have found Jesus, and they wear Arsenal shirts. And, uh, you know, and then some of them are a real deception and they support Liverpool. And, and, and there's all these poor people that just have no idea that if they just supported Arsenal, they'd have the blessing of God upon their lives. But anyway, that's another story. But they wear that clothing because they're trying to identify with the team. They want everybody to know, I'm a man you supporter. Why they would want everybody to know that, I don't know. But uh, they want everyone to know, I'm a Chelsea supporter, or I'm a county supporter, or I'm an all-black supporter. How you clothe yourself says something about who you're supporting and who you're backing and who you're going. Sometimes in, in, in England, England, you don't really want to wear what team you're supporting because they, they do crazy things like beat you up after the game if they lose and stuff like that. But but really, when it comes to sport, we clothe ourselves in the clothing of the team that we support. And so the scripture is teaching here that when we get water baptized, that we are clothed in Christ. It's like we're, we're wearing the supporter's jersey. That when we come up out of the waters, we now have the supporter's jersey on, and everybody can see that we support Jesus. That we're for Jesus' team, that we're for God's team, that we're on God's side, and that's really one of the spiritual things that happens. It's a really simple thing that we are now labeled on our lives that we're a Christ supporter, and everybody can see that in a public environment in this place that, man, I'm a follower of Christ. And I want to tell you this morning, if you've never been water baptized, that when that happens here on the 6th of November, you can put your name down for it at the information desk, but there's not a person in this place that will criticize the team that you've just joined. Everybody in this place will cheer for you, will clap for you as if you've won the World Cup. Because I want to tell you, when you put on, when you get water baptized and you're wearing the clothing of Christ, you're supporting the winning team. I've read the end of the book and I know who wins and it's always Jesus. <laughs> Baptism is basically saying, man, I am now a follower of Christ. I am publicly declaring. The second thing that happens when we get water baptized is that we are baptized into Christ's death. Sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? You know, it's like whew, something from 
I don't know, Halloween or something or other. It seems really weird. How do you get baptized into somebody else's death? That's a weird thing. Well, in Romans 6, verses 3 to 4, it says this, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. And so what the scripture is teaching us is that when we go through the waters of baptism, the old me, the the me I don't really like very much, he is dead too. He is left in the watery grave. And it's like the scripture is saying that when we go through the waters of baptism, the part of us that needs to change, the old me is buried with Christ. It's symbolic, but it's incredibly spiritual because it means that all of who I was has now been left behind. All the things that I struggled with are now gone because I'm no longer that person anymore. Are you with me this morning? In fact, Romans 6, verse 6 to 7 puts it this way, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So the Bible teaches as we go through the waters of baptism that our old self is buried, so what? So that we're no longer what? Slaves to sin. That's why some people who have not been water baptized, they struggle with sinful stuff in their lives because you're still a slave to it until you've gone through the water and left the old you behind. Let the old you be buried with him. Are you with me this morning? Because anyone who has what? Who has, what does it say? Who has died. Anyone who has died has been freed from sin. You know, my my brother died uh, four years ago and he has been freed from mortgage payments. He doesn't have to pay them anymore. The bank can't come knocking on his door anymore because he doesn't have to pay them anymore because he's died. And what the scripture is saying here is that when we go through the waters of baptism, the old you has died, which means that sin can't come knocking on your door anymore. Come on. Those old habits, those addictions, those things that you struggled with, can't come knocking on your door anymore and it can't come and claim payment anymore because you're dead. Man, I wish some of you were a little bit more excited this morning about that because some of you are struggling with your old sinful nature and you don't understand. And the reason is, is because you like talking to dead people. You ever seen that movie, The Sixth Sense? I see dead people. How weird would it be if you came over to my house for lunch today? (laughs) Everyone's welcome to Cedric's place. He's going to put a lamb on the spit. Everyone can just rock up. You don't have to bring anything. He'll supply everything. Uh, Now, if you came over to my house today and we're sitting around the dinner table and we're all sitting there and there's one spare seat there and I say hang on a minute I just got to go and get my brother and, and so I, I wheel him in on a you know one of them things that you cart things around on whatever you call it because he's as stiff as anything because he's dead and I wheel him in and then I, I get him in the seat and I kind of like 
crank, crank, crunch to get him to sit in the seat. And then I kind of break his arms to get him up on the table, prop his head up so he's sitting there. And then I start feeding him. You would be like, what are you doing? I'm never coming to your house for lunch again. You are, you are, you are not weird. You're, you're whacked in the head. There's something wrong with you. Why would you keep a corpse in your house, let alone sit it at your dinner table with your children and visitors and feed it? What is wrong with you? But that's what we do. When we revert back to our old habits and our old ways and the ways that we used to do things, we're bringing the dead man out of the grave. We're sitting him at our dining room table and we're feeding him. He's dead. He's gone. The old you is gone. You are free from him. You are free from her because you can't call on the debts of a dead person. Come on. That's an exciting thing for you that have been water baptized. They don't understand that sin has lost its grip on you. It doesn't have power over you anymore because Jesus has caused your old you, the sinful you, to be buried with him as you've gone through the waters of baptism. I think that's awesome. I just need someone to go out and to um, ignite and grab Murray for me if someone can do that. Thanks, Ben. So the first thing is, is that we are clothed in Christ. It says that we're on his team. The second thing is that the old me is buried and gone. But the third thing and the best thing about water baptism is this, is that you are raised into new life. Raised into new life. And if you've been water baptized for a long, long time, I want you to hear this this morning because I think we've missed something when it comes to water baptism. If you've never been water baptized, this is really exciting for you that you understand that when you come up out of the water, the Bible says that you're raised into new life. In Romans 6, 4 Um, B, the second part of that verse, it says this, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Everyone say new life. See, when you are baptized, you are buried, but then you come up into a new life. You're raised into a new you. Come on, a new you, not the old you, a new you. See, some of you think that when you got water baptized that you were raised up as a modified you. You know, you had a little bit of a fresh lick of paint. You know, if the barn needs painting, you paint it. You know, you had a little bit of a renovation take place. You've modernized the kitchen. Yes, upgraded from a 32-inch to a 60-inch. What is wrong with you this morning? preaching way better than you're responding. But some of you think that it's a modified you, a renovated you. Yes? That's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture does not teach that when you go through the waters of baptism that the old you has died and then it comes up renovated. It comes up modernized. It comes up modified. You've been lowered and you've got some fats on it and, and a... And one of them crazy mufflers that go, and every time you change gears, it goes, because there's something wrong with you. That's not what happens. 
It's a new you. A new you. Some of you that have been water baptized for a long time keep on trying to go back to the old you. I want to tell you, when you come up out of the waters of baptism, it's not a changed life. It's a new life. Come on, it's a new life. It's, it's not who you were, it's who you are now and will be forever. It's a new life. It's not old life, it's new. The old stuff, the old insecurities, the old fears, the old sin, the old guilt, the old shame, the old despair. It's buried, it's gone, it doesn't exist any longer. You're raised in a new life, a new life, and you are different because it's a new life and you're walking in a new way and you might look the same on the outside, but I want to tell you, you're completely changed on the inside and it's not a modernization and it's not a renovation and it's not a, anything like that. It's a brand spanking new you. Brand new, raised, completely new. Well, how do you know that? Because in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 to 27, it says this, For here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pour water over you and scrub you clean. That's basically water baptism. And I'll give you a, a new heart, not a renovated heart, a new heart. And a new spirit, not a renovated spirit, a new spirit. And I'll remove the stone heart from your body, the old you, and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you to do and to live by my commands. And you will be my people and I will be your God. Because why? Because you get a new heart and you get a new spirit so that you can do the God will instead of the self will. See, the old you, the old me, the old Craig is self-willed and selfish and only thinks of himself and it's an impossibility for me and my old self to be able to do the new things that God has planned. So what he does is he puts us through the waters of baptism and he doesn't raise us renovated because he doesn't want any part of that old Craig. He wants the new Craig because the new Craig is God will focus and he can do what God wants him to do and doesn't have to battle with the old self to be able to make it happen. Yes? Now I need Murray's help. So Murray's going to come up here because I need a horticulturalist. Where's a microphone for you, Muzz? Here you go. Here's one. Dave just have to find out which one it is. But what I have here is I have... Let me get this out of the way. I have an olive tree. This is an olive tree. Tree? Just had a little... A little pu puberty moment then. So this is an olive tree. Let's say that the olive tree is the old you. And the peach tree is the new you. How many people prefer peaches over olives? You, you've got it already. So the olive tree is the old you and the peach tree is the new you. Right, we got that? All right, let me ask you a question, Murray. If I cut this branch off this peach tree, oh no, if I, if I cut a branch off the olive tree and put it onto the peach tree, will it produce olives? It's genius, isn't it? What if I take a piece off the peach tree and put it on the olive tree? Will it produce peaches? 
So if I want a peach tree, I have to completely remove the olive tree. I gotta rip it out, roots and all. And, and then I can put a peach tree in the olive tree's place and will it then produce peaches? Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? You see, you can't produce peaches when you're still holding on to the olives. The old you is dead, ripped out, gone. The olives are gone, and now you're a peach tree. How many people think it's better being a peach tree than an olive tree? You know why? Because new fruit needs new roots. You see, what the Bible says is that when you're raised, you have a new heart and a new spirit so that you can do the God-willed things, which is different fruit than the old self, which is self-willed doing self-willed things. So if you want to be somebody who produces peaches, you actually have to rip the olive tree out so that you can now produce the new fruit. Are you with me this morning? But it goes even better than that. If I took the olive tree branch, Muzz, and I cut it off and I grafted it onto the peach tree, what will happen to that olive branch eventually? It'll die. And then what we would have to do, to, we'd have to cut it off? I'm just, I'm just so you believe me, I'm just getting a guy who knows what he's talking about. As you have to understand, in my house we have no plants. His Trinity and I have the gift of killing plants. So let me, let me say this before we get into a little bit more. Muzz is going to show us some stuff. This is what happens. When you forget that when you're baptized, you're now a new tree. Because we all know we're meant to produce fruit. Yes? So what happens is, I, I don't know how to produce peaches as a peach tree. I only know how to produce olives as an olive tree. So what I do, because I think that it's all about performance when it comes to the kingdom instead of what Christ has done for me, I then cut an olive branch off my old self and try to merge it into my new self, hoping that it will produce fruit. And then what happens is we have a whole lot of Christians completely discontented, frustrated, feeling like this whole Christianity thing is a waste of time because all they have is dead branches all over their new tree. Because you can't produce peaches how you produced olives. So must. If this was your peach tree, you got your, you got your, yep. all right, he's got his, for, for this to produce the fruit that you want it to produce, what's, what's the first thing that you'd do to this tree? So, so the next, we want it to produce fruit, right? So is the best way for it to produce fruit for it to become as big as it possibly can? No. No? So, so it's up here, right? 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 So it's up
What about these ones on the side here that are kind of like going off in their own directions? starting a little bit smaller but what we're going to get is the fruit in the right place good sized fruit healthy healthy fruit because we're taking out all the dead diseased wood but, but I paid good money for this tree and now there's only half left <laughs> yeah take it back there's only half of the tree left So what we're saying then, Mars, is that we don't, we don't want the tree to grow, grow large because then it makes it too hard for us to pick the fruit. We certainly don't want these branches to go too wide because then it's going to end up on the ground and good for nobody. So really what we're saying is when it comes to our new life, unless we are pruned on a regular basis, even the fruit we produce can end up being rotten. So when we come to relating this to our Christian walk, the first thing that has to happen is we need to cut off those olive branches that we've tried to graft into our new fruit. The second of all, you need to understand it's not about how big you grow, it's about how much fruit you produce. That's why when Jesus found the fig tree, remember, and it was covered with a whole lot of leaves and it looked like it should have been producing, but it wasn't producing, and people say, oh, it's a little unfair because it was out of season. But I'm saying this, it was showing the leaves like it was in season. It was lying about where it was at. And so Jesus cursed it. Why? Because it wasn't producing fruit. Now, here's the thing. Some of us think that when it comes to our Christian life, as Murray destroys it some more, 
When it comes to our Christian life, Doesn't fit. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. This peach tree produces fruit for itself. What does it produce fruit for? Fathers. So if we are growing in such a capacity that our fruit is so high that nobody can reach for it, we are not doing what we're meant to do. So what happens is we go through the waters of baptism, we come up brand new, brand spanking new. We're, we're, we're not an olive tree anymore, we're a peach tree. But what we don't understand is that God's got to come and, um, oh, what happened there? Yeah, yeah, you can cut that one off, Mus. Get rid of that stupid olive tree. That'll do it. <laughs> what happens is we... we <laughs> give me a hand. What happens is, is we go through the waters of baptism. We know that we're a new tree now. We're a peach tree now. And then all of a sudden God comes along and he just starts cutting away, pruning away. And then we're just like, hold on a sec. I thought this is what you wanted. I thought you wanted me to be a peach tree. Why would you do this to me? Why would you hurt me like this? Come on, am I speaking to anybody this morning? Why would all this bad stuff happen to me? You know what I think is happening to you? I think what is happening to you is that you have tried to modify your new life by how you did your old life. And so my question to you this morning is like, what tree or what stuff have you brought through from your old life? What have you tried to graft into your new life? In John 15 verse 2 it says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You see, the goal of our lives is fruitfulness, not leafiness. It's not how tall you grow. It's not how impressive you look. It's about how much fruit do you grow that's at a level where people can pick it and feed of it. And I think if you've never been water baptized, friend, I want to tell you, today's your day to sign up for that on November the 6th. You can go through the waters of baptism and you can be clothed in Christ and you can, your old you can die and you can come up a brand new person, a new you. But I believe here this morning as I prayed this week that there are people here, you've been water baptized for years, but you still don't understand that you're a peach tree now. You're still living your life like you're an olive tree. And there's some dead branches that God's been trying to prune off for a long, long time. And I feel like this morning God's man says, I'm, his secretaries are here. And it's not to hurt you, but it says even those that are producing fruit, he prunes back so that they produce more fruit. And the goal of our lives is fruitfulness. Murray showed me a picture of a, 
apple tree that he saw in an orchard down in Nelson when he was down there a couple of weeks ago. And I said to him, is it dead? It had no leaves on it. Just a few branches, didn't it, Andy? It was like, it's a dead tree. He goes, no, no, that tree will produce 200 apples on its own. Why? Because they pruned it for fruit, not for leaves, not for height, not for how big, not for how majestic it looked, but it pruned it for fruit. And that tree could produce 200 apples. Another tree that had been pruned like that for 22 years was producing five to 600 apples. And I think God's trying to say something to us this morning that maybe some of us have forgot that we're actually a new person. It's a new heart, a new spirit that has God will, not self will. And you can't produce peaches trying to do it as an olive. And I think there are some people here this morning as the musicians come, there's some people here this morning that I think you realize, man, I, I have not learnt. I have not learnt in all these years how to be the peach tree. I keep on trying to be an olive tree. And you've gotten frustrated. You've even blamed God. And God's trying to say this morning, man, will you let me come in a very loving, gentle way and just let me cut off those dead branches, the twisted ones, the ones that have gone out too far and now bending down and the fruits on the ground. Will you, will you let me turn you back into a tree that is close enough that people can pick the fruit off so that you can see your friends saved, so you can see your family saved, so you can see your kids saved, so you can see your life transformed. Because you know what, a peach tree that doesn't produce peaches might as well just be cut down and thrown in the fire because it's of no use. So why don't you just close your eyes for a moment this morning. Every single person across this place. You know, the first step to having a fruitful life is to give your life to Jesus Christ. You're probably looking this morning saying, man, I'm not sure I want to after seeing that demonstration. But you've got to remember that God does that because he wants you to bear more fruit. It's not to hurt you, it's to help you. 